We are facilitating the next generation of philanthropists to have experiences today that will serve them for the rest of their lives. Honeycomb, formerly the Jewish Teen Funders Network. This is Outside the Sadaka Box, the Jewish Youth Engagement and Philanthropy Education Podcast. I am your host, Danielle Siegel. Each episode, we will have a conversation with an amazing guest who will share their unique stories and help us explore the broader world of Jewish youth engagement and philanthropy education. I'm delighted to introduce our guest for today's episode. Dr. Jeffrey Solomon is Senior Advisor to Chasbro Investments, the family office of Charles Bronfman. He serves as the chair of the Honeycomb Advisory Board, as well as sitting on the boards of the Jim Joseph Foundation, the Kind and Lubetsky Family Foundations, and the Israel Policy Forum. His books, co-authored with Charles Bronfman, The Art of Giving and The Art of Doing Good, have won awards and recognition throughout the philanthropic world. He is also the author of over 120 publications in both professional journals and outlets, such as the Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal. He served as an adjunct associate professor in the master's and doctorate programs of New York University School of Social Work. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jeff. Delighted to be with you, Danielle. Jeff, you are the chair of our of the Honeycomb Board. And we have just been through a full rebrand, new name, new logo, new everything. So how was that experience for you being involved in our rebrand? You know, rebrands are so significant in that um, they are about the core mission and vision of the organization and how better to have the public understand what they are. And, um, you know, Jewish Teen Funders Network is not exactly a sexy name. And while that has been the name for a long time, um, it was, if you will, inside baseball. Only people who, who really knew philanthropy intimately could understand what, what it is. Um, Honeycomb, I think, so beautifully reflects what the purpose of the, the mission and the vision of the organization is. What imagery are you hoping that this new name conjures up for people? Number one, conjures up um, the fact that this is work. When you, when you think of honeycomb, when you think of bees, there's one queen bee and the rest are worker bees. And philanthropy is about the love of humankind. That's what the term means coming from the Greek. And while it is so rewarding and there's such incredible research today that really demonstrates the fact that the donor, the philanthropist gains more from the giving process than the recipients gain. Honeycomb is a great metaphor for it because each of the bees have their own sense of responsibility. Each of them um, are about building community And uh, that's what philanthropy is about. Each of them um, have a sense of returning to that community as they do their work for the benefit of the community. And so the the metaphoric value of, of Honeycomb is absolutely beautiful. What do you think this rebrand is going to do for our organization? I mean, we've been around for about 
15 years, so still fairly young in the grand scheme of uh, of Jewish nonprofits. And we're hoping this gives us this, this new lease of energy, this, this new entry into the, the field of the Jewish nonprofit world. Um, what, what are you hoping this will help us do? Well, I think the, the proof is in, in the work that you've been doing over the past year or two. There's been a great expansion of the work. There's been more of a global view of it, the work that's being done in Israel, for example. Um, there is a, a, a greater sense of seriousness. So uh, among the other changes over the past year or so has been the development of tools. Um, it, it has provided Honeycomb with a far more sophisticated way of uh, engaging teens and having their values expressed in their development of philanthropic strategy. And those, those tools will serve Honeycomb for years. And I suspect, um, knowing the, the team that's working on these tools, that there are going to be more and more new tools developed that will just expand the role of Honeycomb, expand the knowledge base of the field. You are a very important part of our organization at Honeycomb, and you're involved in a lot of different boards. What is it about being with Honeycomb that really speaks to you? I've had the privilege of um, working with some of the great philanthropists of this era. And um, very often, I'm able to have deep conversations with them about what motivates them. And one of the questions I often ask is, when, when did you make your first gift? And inevitably, it was as a teenager. And so, so much of who we become as adults really emerge as we develop our own identities. And we develop our own identities in the late teens and the early 20s. And what makes Honeycomb so important to me is, is that we are facilitating the next generation of philanthropists to have experiences today that will serve them for the rest of their lives. And as they become successful and have resources that they can share with others, the likelihood of, of their doing good in the world and changing the world for good uh, is that much greater. What do you think it means to you to be a professional in the Jewish community? You know, what I think it, it reflects is the ability to take um, values that we treasure, that we learn about, and um, apply those values every day in, in ways that um, are absolutely critical. And it is that that optimism, that determination to change the world for the better, you know, the overused expression of tikkun olam. It's a brilliant concept that God created a world that was imperfect so that God could partner with us in making the world more perfect. As well as that notion of tikkun olam and repairing the world, are there any other Jewish values that really have guided you in your work over the years? You know, certainly um, the the core value of, of choosing life, the the value um, 
of Tzilam Elohim, the, the infinite value of every human being because every human being is created in the image of God. Um, when, when I look at social justice movements, when I look at the pain that at this moment we're seeing in, in Israel and Palestine, um, these are all part of those issues. The, the idea of, of not treating the other in a way that, um, that demeans the other, but understanding the other. This is, to me, the, the most major contribution of Judaism to the world. In your experience, what has been a defining job or a defining role that was a turning point for you? Um, I've been blessed to have many of them. And one that uh, over the past several years um, was, uh, has, has sort of come home uh, in a very serious way, was I was part of a small um, task force in the 90s that was able to take advantage of a momentary opportunity to um, rescue Syrian Jews and to quietly get them out of Syria bring them to the United States. The majority then went on to Israel. Um, and being one of 11 people running this secret operation was an extraordinary moment. And, and, uh, um, and I'm grateful for having had the opportunity and working with organizations like the, the JDC, the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee, and, and the Conference of Presidents, and many of the legacy organizations that um, have have really performed miracles. So you've had several different roles in the community as far as being responsible for fundraising, but then also being responsible for allocating. What do you think was the hardest role for you to do? I spent 11 years at UJA Federation of New York, and for the first number of years, I, my responsibility as chief operating officer was simply the spending of all of the money. And at a moment in time, I was asked to take over the fundraising as well as the spending. And, you know, people came up to me and said, oh, it's, it's really too bad. You had the greatest job in the world, you know, giving away all that money. And, and now you have to raise it. That must be so much more difficult. And I was able to say with a very straight face and, and, and truly with a, a serious expression that I, I never lost a night's sleep around raising money. I've lost many nights sleep around the spending of money. Um, and in, in so many ways, um, that's a surprise. People think raising money is the hard part of the job. The much harder part of the job is the spending effectively the resources you have. And so my love of philanthropy and my love of, of honeycomb um, is really in recognition of the fact that the more we can help people be strategic and effective um, in how they use those resources, the more we will accomplish. 
So it's so interesting that you said that you were losing those nights sleep when talking about allocations. And I guess it's that responsibility that's on your shoulders of how to allocate that money um, in the best way possible. And that's what we're trying to teach the young people in our program. They go through a whole grant making cycle. They read proposals and they do site visits and they come to consensus and, and we put the responsibility on them to make these really key decisions about allocating the funds. Um, but they're gaining so many skills and so many um, wonderful moments um, while they're doing that allocation process. So it's not just the grant recipients at the end of the day who are benefiting, it's also the, the teens themselves going through that program. And the, the process, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the, the development of consensus um, I, I, I remember fondly a, uh, the volunteer president of UJA Federation when I was there who used to say, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy, but the distribution committee, the committee that does the allocation, always comes up with smarter solutions than I could on my own because it's the give and take, the, de the development of different perspectives and then the development of consensus that um, allows for better decision-making than one often does individually. Yes, and consensus isn't easy. It's not the easy way out. It takes a lot more time. It takes a lot more listening, but we see it as such an important part of the model of what the young people go through, that coming to consensus moment. It is very hard to do it effectively. And the best allocations committees um, really understand that consensus um, is, is a team sport and needs to emerge in ways that, um, that don't compromise principles. So where do you see the future of philanthropy going? Uh, you have this intimate look at philanthropy because you're you're involved yourself, looking at the young people going through these processes as well. Where do you think it's going in the future? Um, in, in some ways, I think what we've experienced during COVID is illustrative of, um, of two good things that are happening in philanthropy. Um, the first is, if, if you look at the trend lines over the past 20, 25 years, there's been enormous growth in um, Jewish foundations and Jewish private foundations, individuals who've made a lot of money and, and are prepared to give it away, and a relative decline in the legacy Jewish organizations, especially the federations. COVID resulted in just the, the bringing together of those two forces in ways that we couldn't have expected. Literally within 48 hours of the COVID emergency being declared, the six largest Jewish foundations in the country had gotten together and created JCRIF, the, the fund for emergency loans and grants related to COVID. And while this was going on, People who forgot why federations were important saw the power of what federations could do. When, when there were Jews dying with no resources, Hebrew free burial societies stepped up and made sure that Jewish burials were possible. Hebrew free loan societies helped Jewish businesses and other businesses survive during this. 
the food banks that were created by Jewish family services and federations around the country um, simply reminded people why federations um, are important. And and so ironically, when everybody was worried about what what would happen during COVID in terms of philanthropy, we saw increases in most communities to this, to support federations. So both the federation field and the foundation field stepped up in ways that nobody would have thought possible before COVID. Do you think that will continue on after COVID? One can only hope. <laughs> you know, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And um, I think that uh, we, we've got some new muscle memory that's been created during COVID, and I'm hoping that muscle memory lasts beyond the, the crisis. So as far as that muscle memory during COVID, is there anything that you've been implementing in your life or your work during COVID that you think you will carry on doing afterwards? Well, certainly one thing um, that um, I've been working on with with my colleagues is uh, launching something called ENTER, the Jewish Peoplehood Alliance, where we're trying to um, to increase the connection between the Jews of Israel and the Jews of the diaspora. In the diaspora, we learn a lot more about Israel than Israeli Jews learn about us. So. Because we're all so accustomed to Zoom, we were able to create a Zoom platform for Israeli high school juniors and seniors to meet with British, Canadian, and American high school juniors and seniors and have conversations about their lives as Jews. And it really was achieving our objective in terms of bringing Israelis and, and diaspora Jews closer together and, um, and also achieving uh, the ministry's desire to increase conversational English, since English is uh, more the lingua franca of uh, the Jewish world than, than even Hebrew. programs, we have wonderful professionals who work with our youth who are stewards and role models um, for those teens as they go through their philanthropic journey. Who would you say are your biggest role models? Um, you know, I think one is a historical figure, Julius Rosenwald, who was one of the early Jewish philanthropists. Um, and he created 5,000 schools in the South, public schools, to serve the African-American population. Um, the number of graduates of Rosenwald schools um, was extraordinary. And, and he, was, he was one of the founders of Sears Roebuck. And, and um, that kind of philanthropy in the 20s and 30s um, was unheard of and really spoke to the Tzelem Elohim concept that is at the heart of what we're talking about. Um, you know, today we, we see an amazing generation in their 80s and 90s that fit that description. Uh, Bernie Marcus, uh, the founder of Home Depot, just created a, a, something called Route One to uh, encourage high school students um, to have their first trip to Israel. 
the program Enter that I mentioned uh, is is uh, uh, was was initiated um, by my friend and partner Charles Bronfman. Um, there are also emerging are some individuals in their 40s and 50s who have really many of them different interests. They haven't been doing Jewish philanthropy for 50 or 60 years, but their their Jewish neshama is driving um, very serious philanthropic uh, initiatives. What would you say to a young person who is interested in getting involved in philanthropy in some way? Uh, maybe it's through a program or on their own. What words of encouragement would you give? You know, I, I think number one, um, you don't have to be wealthy to be a philanthropist. Um, you know, my my philanthropy started as a teenager, but uh, so much of it was not about giving money, but giving time. So I was a, a volunteer at a hospital and in, in their rehabilitation se- section, and and it helped shape who I became. The volunteering is no less important than the the giving of money. Um, I think there's there's also something else to keep in mind, which is which is not a happy message, but um, philanthropy, as I mentioned, is the love of humankind. Narcissism is the love of self. They don't go together. And if you know if you're not prepared to place the love of humankind above the love of yourself, then maybe you shouldn't be engaged in philanthropy in the same way. And and sadly, um, there are many people who um, who have never learned that lesson. And um, I would encourage um, philanthropists, budding philanthropists, to really look at themselves and, and, and dig deeply about what's motivating them. Are they doing this for the right reason? Or is it just about, you know, having it on their resume for their college application? What, what you know, what's driving them? Because this is, this is serious and we're, we're affecting lives and the quality of life. And, um, and so in engaging um, oneself in, in a spiritual way is terribly important. That is so much for us to think about when we're thinking about our motivation and what it means to us being philanthropists. And I love when you said that, you know, anyone can be a philanthropist um, and that it comes in many different forms and many different facets. There are so many doors that you can go through um, in order to be involved in, for a young person to be involved in philanthropy. In my experience, working with people who care about philanthropy, um, whose values are so healthy, has created the most wonderful friendship network that um, that one can have. And, and uh, my closest friends are, are people with whom I've shared these experiences. Um, the friends that you create in shared value propositions and in philanthropy are friends that will be with you uh, through good times and bad and who will really enrich your life. And that's been one of the great fringe products of philanthropy. 
So, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. And especially, thank you so much for being a wonderful board chair and advocate uh, to us at Honeycomb. Danielle, thank you. And thank you for all you're doing. Just a reminder to check out our brand new website, honeycomb.org. You can find our latest resources, events, and you can also listen to our previous episodes of Outside the Sudaka Box. You can also listen to us on your favorite podcast platform. We are on all of them. So thank you so much for joining us today, and we will see everybody next time. Outside the Sedaka Box is produced by Honeycomb, the leading resource for Jewish youth philanthropy. To find out more, visit our website at honeycomb.org. Thank you for listening and look out for our next episode coming soon. Don't forget to subscribe. Until then, bye friends. Bye.